0: Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the Canon with Sid Gupta co-founder and ceo of nesh energy technology evangelist product designer and builder and data nerd how would you describe a lot of those that's a pretty hefty role multiple roles you have (laughs) i mean how would you define all those like in a nutshell because that's pretty
1: impressive man it was the thing that i saw other people doing on linkedin so i just emulated it i was like oh yeah you got to put slashes between different descriptors for yourself so i mean (laughs) Product designer and builder, I'm a product person by heart. I want to make sure we get, like when I was in my previous role, I was a product manager. So that's sort of where I picked up that trait and that interest. Yeah, Always been interested in playing around with data. Trying like when we were shopping for houses or shopping for cars or like trying to dispute our property taxes, I always like try to pull as many numbers as I can. Very cool. And tinker with it. So Engineer yeah. at heart. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, for everyone out there,
0: Sid holds a PE degree from both the Indian School of Mines and the University of Texas. He spent years gathering experience at places like Schlumberger and Shell, along with being a teacher's assistant for advanced petrophysics, which is pretty cool. And is now a successful entrepreneur in his own company known as Nash. So, and that I got that from LinkedIn. So, hopefully, that's somewhat accurate, unless you're completely just painting a great story, because it's pretty impressive. But, anyway, so. Did you so Nash wasn't it? Hello Nash at some point. Did you guys change recently?
1: No, Hello Nash is just the legal name of the entity ah, uh, okay. we call the company Nash.
0: Perfect, perfect. Well, before we get going, this episode's brought to you in part by Hillman Reed Premium Men's Care. Visit hillmanreed.com for all your skincare needs. This episode's also brought to you by OGGN's travel sponsor called BCD Travel. BCD provides solutions for every business travel program. Hit up bcdtravel.com for more details. And so we finally got this episode in the calendar. So I'm excited to get this one in the books. I was introduced to you by Alex Goodwin with Vertice, right? That's when you guys were still here at the Canon. He's a great guy. And he actually came on the podcast to talk about his new company. It's episode 37. If anyone's interested, they do completions work. Yeah, they're doing some really neat stuff. And so he introduced, you know, introduced you and told me a little bit about the company that you guys have. So how do you know Alex, actually, is, is what I was curious about.
1: Yeah, so Alex used to be at Weatherford when I was at Schlumberger. So we were used to work at SPE together and some of the events that we were like co-chairing. So that's how I got to know Alex. Mm. And then we stayed in touch after we moved on from our respective roles. Yeah, hey, that's good. That's that's one thing, actually, you're talking about keeping in touch with guys.
0: We have some young interns. They're not interns, actually, now they're graduates at our company. And they said, what, you know, what, what what kind of advice can you give me this and that? And I, and I told them, I said, you know, especially now in our industry is so relationship driven, but just make those strategic connections and relationships with people network and, and, and don't be afraid to reach out to people you haven't spoke to in a while, just to see how they're doing. And, And, and you need to have a tight network. And so that's extremely important. It sounds like you and Alex obviously stay in touch, which is, which is cool. I like to see that. So before we talk about Nesh, tell us a little, bit, a little bit about your journey and how you ended up running your own tech company.
1: Yeah, so I I grew up in India. I have
0: an accent, you can probably
1: tell. So. <laughs> I
0: figured it was yeah. Houston mixed with something.
1: Yeah. Not Canadian, but <laughs> either way. So I was born and raised in India, went for my undergrad there, uh, Indian School of Mines, you know, undergrad in petroleum engineering. I was a mining engineer first for the first year of my undergrad degree, did an internship there. Walked down a mine shaft in an underground mine and decided that that's not going to be my career. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I switched majors to petroleum and then graduated with that. Went to work for Schlumberger in Bombay for a couple of years. During that time, I was sort of working offshore for a little bit. And then also in the office trying to interpret all the logs that were coming from all over the different parts of the country. And then after that, once I was reading, reaching a point of like saturation in the learning curve, I took a break to get my master's. Wow. Came here to UT Austin for my master's, then graduated from there and then joined back Schlumberger, this time on the software side of the company. So I was doing consulting with the Schlumberger softwares for a lot of the USC Ps, And then towards the later part of the role, I was doing product management for some of the larger oil and gas software company, a software portfolio that Schlumberger has.
0: I gotcha. So kind of going back, growing up in India, was it something that you were very, like, were you always very studious engineering mindset? I mean, did you... Is that something you always aspire to do or was it, you know, parents or family or friends that kind of motivated you? I mean, what made you get into the engineering side of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're growing up in India, you're either an engineer or a doctor, right? Those are okay. the two, two primary career choices that you have. Anything else that you want to do in your life, you become an engineer and a doctor and then you do those things. Okay, so- <laughs>
0: no way. Yeah. Is that so? And why is that?
1: This is a cultural thing, I believe. It's like that's how like most people have seen other people get success. So it's sort of ingrained in the community and the culture that those are sort of the two main sure shot paths to success Ah. but now that culture is changing i was just gonna ask that yes i mean it's sort of like if you look like at our parents generation that's how they used to think but now the people like our age who are becoming parents they're not thinking about that in that same way okay there's a lot more like emphasis on liberal arts and other degrees and people are going and venturing out on their own there's a huge ecosystem of startups in india too. Very so cool. So that is changing now, but yeah. Is it is it upsetting a
0: lot of the older generation to see that? Like, you know, kids coming up, maybe putting up some resistance, going against the grain, if you will. Is, does that present any challenges over there?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I've seen it slightly differently. Like people who, like my parents, for instance, their generation, they saw that transition happen over time. Mm. It's it's dif- it's different for people who migrated from India. So, for instance, my wife's family, her parents, they came from India in the 60s. Okay. So they bought a vision of India in their head, which remained encapsulated. So they still have that vision of India from the 60s or the 70s. So for them, that change was likely difficult. But for people who are still living in India, they saw the country shift around them. So it was easier for them to, like, sort of adapt to that change versus, like, immigrants who came, like, in the 60s, 70s. For them, that change was a little bit difficult. So,
0: yeah. Interesting. So, you know, you mentioned now, obviously, you're at Nesh. At what point in your career did you decide that you wanted to take that leap of faith, take the risk? Because obviously there was, you know, a bunch of risk involved. Did it come out of demand? Like, did, did you have a solution for a problem that you experienced or, or how did you make that shift to, to commit yourself to leaving corporate America and going into the startup world?
1: Yeah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a binary thing. It wasn't like one day I wanted to do this and the next day I was doing it. It mm-hmm. was like sort of a, a, a piece of dust and there was like crystal. It started crystallizing slowly and slowly and slowly and the idea formed. So there were a lot of things that led up to this. Just the fact that I wanted to do this was the first thing, like I wanted to do something on my own. Okay. And then that idea sort of solidified over time that yes, this is the right time to do it because you'll never find the right time to do it unless you take the plunge. There's always something stopping you. Mm -hmm. So trying to figure out that, yes, this is something that I'm really passionate about and I want to do this. That was the first thing. And then making yourself sort of convinced about the fact that yes, you want to do this. Second was that, finding a problem to solve. You want to build a company, that's great, but then you have to find the right solution or the right product or the right problem that you want to solve that enough people care about. Right. So that took a while. And this wasn't something that I was actively looking for all the time. It's like, it just sort of happened. Like when I... I don't know if you want to like start talking about this now, but
0: yeah, no, no, I keep going. That's interesting. Keep going.
1: So like in the oil and gas industry, like I've seen that oil and gas software tends to be like very complicated to use. Mm -hmm. And companies spend a ton of money in training their engineers and geoscientists how to use the software. And people, if they don't use it for like six months, they forget how to use it. And then the cycle repeats. Yep. So this was something that we observed over time in this industry. And then also, like in in the 2014 down, downturn, like one of my friends, he lost his job. He was looking to get back into the market, and he couldn't get any job interviews, even. So mm-hmm. I hooked him up with another friend of mine who worked in an operator, and she was looking to hire a reservoir engineer. So we connected them up and say, hey, why don't you guys talk? So long story short, he didn't and he didn't end up getting the job. But the reason they gave him for not hiring was that hey, you're not trained on this simulator that we use in our company we use a different reservoir simulator and you're you're trained on the Schlumberger one and it's not going to work out. So I found that to be a weird reason to reject someone for a technical role. But when I thought about it more, I realized it's the same thing. It's because those softwares tend to be so hard people often judge person's technical capabilities based on like if they know how to use a software or not or they know how to click a button or not
0: yeah does the industry have they started standardizing a lot of softwares because i mean everything everyone comes out with something that you know our software is better or you know it gives them a competitive edge because it can do you know xyz more than than something else but i mean eventually do you see and this may not be good for you know a company like yours but it does you think standardizing a lot of this stuff, is that the future? Or do you think there's going to be continue to be new softwares that companies want to bring in, or companies internally create their own? I mean, what what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think there are a couple of initiatives that are happening in the industry. So I think one, I feel that data will be standardized, the data models will be standardized. Mm. So even though the softwares may not be themselves, like the UI and all of that itself is sort of disconnected from the back end. But the data models underneath will probably be standardized. There are a lot of initiatives around that, like OSTU and PPDM. Yeah, they are doing some great work around that space. In terms of the others, the other side that I see is like software becoming more and more open. So instead of having like closed architecture, just like what Apple has, instead of but, com, softwares will try to like communicate well with each other. Right. Larger OFS companies are starting to do that where they're opening up their architecture and allowing like a lot of endpoints, public endpoints that other softwares could connect to. So that is helping uh, with like hey, you have these two softwares in the in your team but they can communicate with each other. Right. So your teams can do too now.
0: I think that's extremely valuable because in it, historically it's like deliverables from one company wouldn't could never talk to deliverables right. from another and then there was that wall. And and if maybe someone switched companies, they could take whatever it was, excel spreadsheets or whatever the case, but having that that Talk, I think, will certainly help grow the industry in ways that we were never even imagined. But, but being, you know, the the internal guts of it maybe being different. So now, describe. I want to, to talk about Nash because that's what we're here for. But describe Nesh, what it is, and and how you you know came up with with that idea, whether for the name, for the concept, and and you know, kind of where you're at now.
1: Yeah. So when we were thinking about simplifying oil and gas software, we weren't sure about the form factor. Like, what should that software be like? Should it be like a dashboard tool that is easy to use? We knew it had to be easy and intuitive, but we just didn't know what form factor it'll have. So around that time was when like everyone was starting to use like Alexa in their homes and mm. Siri on their phones. All those things were becoming like very ubiquitous. So we thought, why don't we take that same form factor of a smart assistant and apply it to the enterprise? So the way I describe Nesh to people is imagine if Alexa or Siri went to school and got a degree in petroleum engineering and geoscience. Nice. Worked in the oil patch for a few years, read a lot of papers and journals. And that's how sort of the evolution of uh, that's that's what Nesh is. Okay. The name Nesh came from. So we have an Indian god called Ganesh. Okay. He is the remover of obstacles and a source of intellect and wisdom. So that's where the Nesh comes from, that last part of Ganesh. Yeah, yeah. that's
0: super fitting. <laughs> I like that. So, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned, you know, things like Alexa and stuff like that. In, in my world, in the drilling fluids world, I always thought, and I talked to management about this, and it always kind of p- makes people smirk and say, yeah, maybe one day. But for me, or it could be any service company for that matter, but to be able to say, you know, hey, Nesh, for example you know what are my what are what's my you know daily margin today what's my daily revenue you know what's our forecast look like for the next week or quarter or month we've got the data but it's you know compiling it analyzing it you know and modeling that or, you know, just just things like that. So could you give an example, like, you know, for, for the scope of work, that's something that Nesh would be able to provide, like, say, for operators or, or the type of customers that you currently deal with? Give an example of how, like, that adds value to that. Sure,
1: yeah. I mean, so Nesh connects to both structured and unstructured data and then allows users to then talk to the data instead of, like, trying to fight with it. Mm. The biggest challenge that we've seen that people know how, people know that there's data in their organization, but the information and the knowledge is so scattered across the whole organization that it takes a while for people to find out where that information sits, who should I go talk to so that they know the answer. Mm. Maybe they'll be able to find it for me. This is especially challenging for like management and executives who always have to turn to the petrotechnical experts to ask them, hey, can you go find this answer for me? I'm looking for this thing. And those questions are very repetitive. It's like, to give you an example of like one, one of the use case that we did for our one of our customers, they had uh, flowback wells, wells that were flowing back in the field that were coming online. But that information wasn't sitting in any SCADA system because the wells were sort of like, they were like baby wells that were just coming online. Mm-hmm. So they weren't connected to anything in the field. So that information was just getting transmitted over emails every morning. So the vendors would send out an automated email with the flowback data attached to it. And it would land in the engineers' inboxes like every day, yeah, and there's no way they can analyze that information when such a surge of information is coming to them every morning, of they course, have other emails to read. so it was just sitting in their inboxes, and the vendors were getting paid for sending the data, and there were nothing was happening with it. Mm. So what we were tasked with was like, hey, I know we know that Nash has a capability of like talking to the data, but could you also help us like sort of ingest that information in? So what we did. We built a pipeline for them where Nesh was also getting those emails. So we added an email address into their mailing list. And now Nesh also receives those emails in the morning. It was just adding into the CC list and Nesh gets those emails. Every morning, we just automatically open the emails, scrape it, pull the attachment information, save it to our databases. And now people can ask Nesh questions. Hey, Nesh, which wells came online in the last week? What is the flowback information for those wells? How are they looking? So these kind of things would take people like 20, 30 minutes every day to go through the emails, download the attachments and look at it. Now it takes barely like 60 seconds. Not even that.
0: Wow. That is fascinating. The world of language processing and and doing what you guys are doing is is super cool. And I think like to me, not only in oil and gas, but I think stuff like that's the future. Like if I could say, hey, Siri, book me a dentist appointment next week. And that's it It, it <laughs> literally allow it to look at my calendar, see, you know, how long it takes me to drive from my office to the dentist appointment, figure out if I have any other meetings surrounding that. I mean, or, you know, I have a meeting in, in Denver next week with XYZ operator, book me a flight in a hotel and, okay. and I want to go for dinner with a customer at six and then boom, it's done. Yeah. Like that will be an extreme game changer. And I see oil and gas adopting that concept and allowing it for people to do things like you're already doing so for you to be kind of on the front line of that is extremely it's exciting to say the least and i'm sure you are you
1: know yeah and we are like we're working through several like sort of obstacles and challenges as we are going through this because we are also learning as we go through the process like different things that nlp works in some field but it doesn't work for oil and gas specific jargon so like retraining nesh on answering things and then setting expectations with the customers too. That's very important because Mm -hmm. sometimes they do expect that everything that Alexa and Siri can do at our house, Nesh can also do it, but there are limitations because different people talk in different ways. Technical jargon is very different from like just normal English that we use in our day-to-day lives. Of course. So those are some of the challenges that we have to work through.
0: So how do you do that then? Like how do you overcome these challenges? Is that your greatest challenge you would say?
1: Yeah, I mean just... Making Nesh handle all the queries as gracefully as possible. And even when she doesn't, then failing gracefully, those are some of the things that we have to handle. Mm-hmm. And then also empowering the customer to train a Nesh on their own because it will fail at some point. You will get like, hey, I don't understand what you mean. Mm-hmm. But we don't want it to be like whenever Alexa says, I don't know what you mean, there's nothing you can do at that point. Right. But with Nesh, you can essentially take control and then train her to answer that question better next time. So those are some of the challenges we're working through. The way we handle that essentially is try to get as many questions from the customers as possible. It's like, hey, if you had a magic eight ball, what kind of things would you ask it? And then we try to get as many questions as we can. It's hard for people to think about everything that I would want want to ask something in the future. So that's, uh, that's something that we have. We work with our customers to figure out, why in, Let's let's think about this. Let's brainstorm and find some use cases. Come up with a list of things that you want to ask. Ask your colleagues too what kind of things they ask, because right. you might think very differently from somebody else who just sits in the next desk. So that's one of the biggest things we have to do is get that list of questions from the people to understand what kind of things they are looking for, what kind of intents are they trying to activate in niche and then we go train niche to answer uh, like act, find build those intents and then find those answers
0: wow so what would you say there well actually i kind of going back to it is it similar to like a lex or something where it's like a pod or something or like what does it look like logistically oh, yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of fascinating yeah, but i should have probably
1: started there so it's it's not a physical device it's a web application okay. so you go to your website so if you're like Equinor or some other company, you'd go to like equinor.hellownesh.io and then you mm. would just log on and then and then start asking questions. Okay, so typing was, or verbally? You can do both. You can type oh, or no talk, way. but it's through a laptop, right? It's through your browser right now. Yeah. Uh, we are also, we have on our roadmap to expose Nesh through devices like Alexa, google home or even through your phones i was
0: i was gonna say i would imagine in the future phone would be extremely valuable because if people are driving and listening to something and all of a sudden they're like oh you know what i want to i need to know this number before i get to the office right which again i'm sure takes mass amount of infrastructure or however it is to be able to do that i think is probably you know extremely difficult and so you're just kind of taking one step at a time right. But but what would you say for you the future looks like if like if you could jump ahead 10 years and you know, capital aside, if you could have it bundled up in one package, what would Nash look like from that point?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you look at the way people are interacting with technology now, there's very little like mouse interaction. Like the kids who are growing up today, the ones who will be coming into the industry in a few years, mm-hmm. they don't use mouse as much. They use touch more, they use voice more. So I think that's the direction the industry is headed to in general. They'll be very less physical interaction with the devices. People will want to like just sort of touch their screens and do all the seismic interpretation by touch instead of like trying to pick things with their mouse. Yes. I think that's the direction we are headed. And sort of that's what we are counting on too, is as voice becomes more and more the way people interact with their devices and the applications, Nesh will be sort of the layer through which they do that.
0: Interesting. So are there other people out there doing similar things or are you, do you know, are you first to market for stuff like this?
1: No, I think there are a couple of people who are in this, in the field who are doing something similar, but sort of the way we see ourselves situated is at the intersection of public data and private data, mm. and also at the intersection of structured data and unstructured data. Gotcha. So that's the space where we see sort of, I mean, if you if zoom in real close, maybe there we'll, we'll find other people in this market. But that's sort of where we see ourselves situated right now.
0: I gotcha. So, I mean, to me, this seems like most companies would want to jump on board and have this type of ability. Is your limiter your infrastructure and your resources or is the limiter people hesitant to the idea because they don't want to spend the money? Like, where do you see the hang up for, for scaling, I guess?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's the industry who is hesitant about this. Every single customer that we talk to, there is a moment whenever we are demoing Nish, we see their eyes light up cool so whenever the demo starts people are sort of leaning back on their chairs and then as we show nash and we ask more questions we can see them they put their elbows on the table yeah they lean forward yeah and they start this you can see the wheels turning in their heads and they and then the discussion sort of happens where they start talking to each other yeah and, hey we can use this for that application we can connect it to finance we can connect it to hr we can connect it to this and that so the idea, is sort of like there's burstiness in the room. Mm. People start like talking about with each other, and they start they ignore the demo altogether. It's it's a very exciting thing that happens, but it's also imagine. it's also intimidating. Because we want to stay focused in our lanes. As start <laughs> yeah. the we can't do everything, right? right. So that's, that's sort of like walking that fine line of like trying to tell a customer that, hey, let's, let's, let's focus on this because this is what we have right now. <laughs> yeah. so let's look, look at the core value prop and then we can do the other things down the road. The biggest hang up for us, if like that's what your original question was, is like building that critical mass of intense in mesh mm. that serves the majority of the industry. One of the things that we have to work with the customers to make them understand that AI is not going to be ready to go from day one. It's like yeah. training a child to talk. The more you talk to it, the better he or she can communicate or the, the, the better they learn. Hmm. So it's like trying to teach a kid how to talk. So the same thing happens with an AI tool like Nesh or any other tool. They have to put in some initial investment into training Nesh how to answer those questions. Of course. Some companies are very open about it. So we're, it's just trying to find those right partners to work with who are sort of willing to give in that time and train Nesh to work the way they really like it to work. And then once we get to a point where Nesh has that critical mass of training data that it can answer like 80% of the industry's needs, that's when that scalability will really unlock.
0: Right so and that's kind of interesting you mentioned about training so do you and i'm trying to understand how to ask the question but you obviously have the data coming in and nesh and is being exercised by you know current customers and, and data and, and information coming in but is there a side piece to it where you're also feeding it and, and building it on the back end You know what I mean? Like, is it, or is it all just from what you're currently, like your current workload helps build it? Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: yeah. I understand what you're saying. So the way we do any project with the customers is we go to them and we ask, tell them, hey, these are sort of the core capabilities of Nesh. Tell us what kind of things would you want to ask a tool like this? And they give us a list of questions Let's say like hundred questions or so. Yeah. And when they give us those hundred questions, we figure out, okay, of these hundred questions, these 40 questions we can already answer. These 60 questions we'll have to train Nesh how to answer. Okay. So we work with the customer to train Nesh to answer those 60 questions, right? So then we deploy it in the environment. When they start asking questions, often what happens is they will ask things out of outside of those hundred questions that they gave us. Yeah. So they'll be like that hundred and first or some other questions that'll come up. Sometimes Nesh will, because of the training that she has, she'll be able to figure out figure this out. And this is not just semantic variations of that same question. This is like a, a, a new question altogether. Mm. So she'll be able to figure that out, connect the dots, and then come up with the answers. Some cases she won't. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll park those questions, and our team will independently work on the side to train Nesh on any new intent. And we sort of triage it. We see that looks like these other customers, they're also asking something similar. So th- this is a high-value thing that we should build so we are triaging this and building new intents on the side while trying to customize it for our customers needs gotcha no that makes total sense that kind of leads me into my next
0: question so right now tech startups within the oil and gas space is is quite there's a there's a good demand for it there's a lot of good companies out there that add a lot of value how do we as an industry attract proper talent for things like that versus people wanting to go to silicon valley you know, go work for Google, Apple, Amazon, want to go move to Austin to find the new tech startup companies. So I guess two part question, how did you find the right talent for your team? And how do we as an industry continue to attract good talent coming out of schools that don't want to go to California and don't want to go to other areas where predominantly the tech world is a lot sexier than it is in oil and gas? Right,
1: right. I mean, hiring was one of the biggest challenges for us. I mean, I had always heard that growing a team is one of the biggest challenges as a start a founder, we'll have. Mm-hmm. we realized that first 10 when we started growing the team. So when we started in 2018, it was just two of us, me and my co-founder. And then right now we're eight people. So we had to grow the team, but I didn't realize it's going to be this hard. It was it was difficult. I'm not going to downplay that. Sure. But there are things that we learned along the way that happy to share. I mean, if you would. Yeah. I mean, we didn't just look at Top universities. This was one of the things because there are smart people everywhere mm-hmm. trying to find those people who are like super motivated. Because we know people can learn. If you're smart, you'll be able to learn. But it's just finding people who have that drive. That that's what that, that takes time. And then we had to build a screening process internally to figure out how to how to like determine who those people are. And then also we looked at. I mean, Texas has a lot of good universities like UT, Rice, U of H, and M. Maybe I'm missing a few, but we did post to their job portals, like we told, and then we, we, and we tr- tried to like fine tune our job description to make it, we didn't want to sound, make it sound too robotic. We wanted to yeah. sound, make Nesh sound like a cool place to work. We are a fun group of people. We wanted that to come across in the job description too. So that took a little bit of tweaking and A-B testing to figure out what works best post like just traditional job outlets and stuff yeah the biggest piece was like trying to make people understand what our culture is because it's not just about oil and gas industry it's about the microcosm of the company itself like what is it that we are trying to do inside the company so the first call that me or seth or my co-founder we would have was just to tell them about the company like what is it we're trying to do and how this vision is not just about what Nash is, but about the bigger picture that we are trying to solve. Yeah. So once we sold the people and the vision of the company, then it became much easier to convince them to come work for us because it's 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 a two-way street, right? We are also trying to find them. They're also trying to screen us. So trying to sell them on the idea of the company. So that, after that step, it became much easier to screen people. Okay. But that's sort of how we went. And then we also looked at a lot of like boot camps. So digital crafts, right in this building where we are, They have a great pipeline of talent coming in. So two of the people who we have in our team, they came from digital crafts. Their background wasn't in computer science, but they are extremely good, like smart people who are performing really well on the team. So we looked outside of traditional sources.
0: Yeah, so how do we as an industry
1: continue to attract talent like you guys have at your company? I mean I think the perception of the the market should change because oil and gas has traditionally been seen as sort of like that slow moving creature like a big thing that is very hard to turn I think that perception is changing now with sort of companies changing their marketing strategy their sort of mission statement and the world finding out more about them I think that's that's a path that the industry as a whole should continue on it's like putting a positive message out there that we are doing something that is sort of bigger than the sum of the parts, right? Powering the 65% of the world is not a small feat. This industry does this. And if if it were to go away, the entire like system would like crumble and collapse. But putting that message out there so people know that this is a noble mission to be on. And I think the young people do understand it, but that whole like... That oil is the evil industry to be in. That perception needs to The industry is doing a good job changing this. Yeah. But I think that's the only way you can attract people into the industry. It's not about like telling them, hey, you have big data, you can get to work on neural networks and deep learning. I don't think that's going to move the needle because hmm. the bigger tech companies out there, they're doing something similar, if not better. Right. It has to be the vision of what we are trying to accomplish, how we will change the world is what we're going to bring, is going to bring the people in.
0: Yeah, no, that's a certainly great perspective. So how would you define the culture within Nesh?
1: <laughs> that's a, yeah, so I mean, culture, the way I think about it is not a like set of beliefs, it's okay. a set of actions, like things that we actually do rather than what we just write on a piece of paper. Hmm. So with Nash, since we are still a small team right now, the culture sort of morphs with every person who comes in. So we don't like screen a person and we tell them, hey, no, you don't fit into our culture code, so we're not going to hire you. We look for what we are missing in our company and what can that person add to it. So the culture is sort of still evolving. Yeah. But we know that what we are today, whatever we do when we are small, that thing will get amplified when we are big. Very cool. So we're trying to like sort of solidify that as quickly as we can, but yeah. it's still morphing today. It's
0: dynamic. I mean, yeah. even at large companies, like, you know, the company that I work with, we're about a $500 million company. And our culture from month to month changes. Leaders change their mindset. Managers change their mindset. And and it, and it it's constantly evolving, right? And it's, yeah, who you bring in is ultimately going to affect the culture. But if, right. you know, as leaders, if you can identify you know, and share the vision to where people can align with it, I think that the ball continues to grow and and it just continues to get better and better. And, you know, not having the cancers within the culture and and being able to identify those immediately and get rid of them because that's where, you know, things fail drastically. Very interesting. So what excites you most about what you're doing? And I guess with that question is, is on top of that, what, what keeps you motivated and, and just to, to keep going and stay excited about Nesh?
1: You know, the biggest thing is whenever it's, it's a very surreal feeling. Sometimes when I look back in my office and I see seven people besides me working on Nesh, and I think to myself that just a year ago, this was an idea in my head. And now there's seven people who gave up their day jobs to come work for us. That is very humbling. Of course. So that is really what keeps me up at night. Besides the idea itself that there are people who are working and they they have a family and they're working on this thing with me that is what really drives me because i know investors and customers aside like the team is the thing that drives me the most that hey these guys are behind me and we have to sort of chart that course wow so we are continuously working towards that so that's the biggest driver But besides that, I think the product itself, I really believe in it. And I think that's the future that the industry is headed towards. And we are sort of one of those people, uh, one of those teams who are doing that. Great answer.
0: So a few more questions, more on the personal side that i like to close out with. Do you have any daily routines or habits that keep you focused and motivated?
1: Yeah, I think I found out that if, if I spent like 20 minutes in the morning and uh, just planning my day instead of just jumping right in. Mm. That is always very helpful. So the first thing that I do in the, uh, so we, we moved to downtown recently. So now I try to get to the office early in the morning to beat the traffic. So I'm usually there by like 6.30, between 6.30 and 7. So it's, it's, it's very quiet outside. The sun hasn't risen yet. So just like trying to spend some time coming up with a list of to-dos for the day. Mm. Like what are the things? I mean, except for the emails that's, that's a constant barrage of it. Yeah. But what are the <laughs> what are some of the high-level tasks that I want to achieve? So that really keeps me focused. Okay. But that to-do list is sort of the things that I live by in like day-to-day.
0: Hey, that works. Yeah. I mean, everyone has their sort of their formula for success and and yeah, if it's list t- list, you know, t- you know, task lists or you know, six cups of coffee or meditation. <laughs> I mean, whatever it is, is, is everyone has their own unique set of, of routines and, and things that they do. And so, yeah, that's, that's good. And
1: I think that's going to be my resolution for 2020 is to try to like do a bit more meditation. I've yep. tried to do that, but it's mm-hmm. like, you close your eyes, you see all those sparks fly. Like <laughs> oh, it's, uh,
0: so it's interesting you say that. And I was talking to one of my customers about this yesterday, because he was mentioning that he was having some challenges with sleeping. And and, you know, of course, meditation and mindfulness, those are the biggest trend words of, of, of 2019. But I'm here to tell you, I actually ended up buying, it's like a infrared, it's an infrared sauna. And so I put it up in one of my spare bedrooms and converted it into like a little sauna room. And, and what I do at night is I go in there and I have an app called Calm and it's 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. um, and so I turn for 10 minutes a day, I turn my phone on airplane mode. So there's absolutely no distractions. My kids are in bed. I sit in there. And I listen to the calm and it's kind of like guided meditation yeah. with a few minutes of like a, at the very end of like, you know, the daily sort of thought. And, and I think a lot of it is surrounds itself around like Buddhism, but it's not like a religious, it's more just like kind of thought provoking stuff. Sure. But it is, is it for the first couple months was extremely difficult. I would find myself fidgeting and thinking and opening my eyes and, you know, just kind of looking around. But. But having that 10 minutes of just blank and now it's like a muscle you have to train yourself to and you don't necessarily have to be completely th- like thoughtless, but but focusing on, you know, things like breath and just just coming back to the present, it, it has actually helped me significantly. And so I encourage you to, to try whether it's that or however you do it. Yeah. It could be sitting on your stairs. It could be laying on the grass outside whatever but yeah. but finding that that moment of stillness is extremely rewarding yeah. and so it's it's pretty interesting stuff
1: yeah i'm gonna try that Here i you go I've heard, I've heard of calm i never gave it gave it a try mm-hmm.
0: so. it's 10 minutes a day and i've tried other apps like that there's there's a, sam harris has a good one but i can you know 20 minutes half an hour sometimes tough especially with two kids <laughs> but 10 minutes i found is like the right amount of time and it's the right dose for me so Anyway, yeah. Probably that's he,
1: help you in Houston traffic too.
0: Yeah, it does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does. Lots of podcasts, a little bit of meditation. Certainly the Houston traffic is, is bad, but I've heard it's not as bad as other places around the US. So I'm thankful for it. One last question here. What's something about yourself that not many people know about? Do you have any good hidden secrets or any sort of unique hobbies or anything outside of being a CEO and just constantly grinding away? Do you have anything that you use to disconnect?
1: I I like to design stuff. So okay. I, have, I have like a design mindset. So most of the UI that you see in Nash or just generally is that sort of therapeutic for me. Mm. So sometimes if I'm like feeling like not doing the daily stuff that I do every day to disconnect from it, I will like go open and sketch or Photoshop on my Mac and then just try to like create something. So uh-huh. that that's always helpful. And I feel that that also helps the product too in general. Like if somebody is, sort of look, has a design eye and then can make the product just look better because I feel that's sort of lacking in the All and Gas software in general.
0: Yeah, I would agree. So you, so you have a sort of a, an art skill set to you then? Like, are you pretty, would you say you're pretty artful, like with that kind of stuff? Or is it more just... You just I, do it because you like it.
1: I guess that's for other people to judge. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Let the market decide. Yeah. yeah. No, but uh, I don't have any formal training in it. Sure. It's just trying to like maybe a good eye for color and what things go well with each other. That's so, awesome. Uh, but yeah, I just tinker with it. Some stuff for just personal consumption, some stuff for Nesh. Hey, you, there always
0: has to be a bit of a disconnect yeah. because if not, you just burn yourself out and, and the, the spiraling starts to happen. Well, anyways, let's take a few minutes here. I'd like to take a moment and tell everyone about our upcoming events. Hey,
2: everybody, Alex here with the events on deck for January 2020. First of all, Happy New Year. We have a couple of great events coming up to kick off 2020 with y'all. The first one will be a Houston Happy Hour taking place on January 16th at the Canon from 6 to 9 p.m. This event will be all about artificial intelligence for oil and gas. Reality, not hype. The event will feature a panel discussion and include drinks and snacks. Be sure to get your tickets. You can find our Eventbrite link on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook, or in our Point newsletter every month. The next happy hour we're having is our Denver happy hour on January 30th from 4 to 6 p.m. at Liberty Oil Field Services. This event will have a panel of GEOs and feature a live recording of the Crude Audacity podcast. So it'll be super cool. Be sure to join us. Also get your tickets once again from the links posted in our modal point newsletter or on oil and gas global networks, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. We also will be having a Pittsburgh happy hour sometime in February with the date coming soon. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Other events on deck include the Houston API Energy General Meeting, On January 14th, guest speaker Eric Switzer, VP Global Services of Baker Hughes, will be discussing accelerating transformation in oil and gas. The 2020 Industrial Market Outlook and Networking event will be on January 23rd in Houston, and they will be discussing the latest trends that will impact project spending in North America, including the Gulf Coast region, over the next 12 to 24 months. Lastly, the Wildcatters Ball will be held on February 7th, 2020 in Houston. This ball is the primary oil and natural gas industry fundraising event for the IPAA educational foundation. Proceeds will go toward funding the foundation's energy education programs. That's all for this month. Thanks for tuning in guys and check in next month for the events on deck for February.
0: Great. Thank you. Anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and whack Crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And if you're looking to get in shape over the winter, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. And If you want to support the show, please do me a huge favor and subscribe, share it, like it and leave a review. That's the best way for organic growth For, for myself and the rest of the OGGN family and all the podcasters out there. Digital Wildcatters, I want to give them a shout out. They're good friends of mine there. They got Flipping the Barrel and the Tech Startup Podcast. Jake and Colin do a fantastic job. And the crew over there, just certainly great people. So make sure you go and listen to those guys and, and those ladies out there that are crushing it. So if people want to reach out to you, get to little get to know a little bit more about Nesh, what's the best way to, to do that?
1: They can go to our website, hello-nash.io, okay, or find us on LinkedIn.
0: Perfect. Well, I'll put the link in the show notes if that's cool. And then people can click and uh, scroll away and yeah thanks again for joining me today i really enjoyed the conversation i'm excited to see where you guys are you know in the future
1: thank you justin thanks for having us have a great holiday season yes and happy new year
0: yes happy new year to you too and that's a wrap always remember when the density up and the gas is down open the choke let's go to town thanks Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil & Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com.